You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in to tonight's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan, on the very first day of December 2015. Can you believe it? Lots of great guests coming up on the show this evening. We have the return of resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley, who has everything you need to know about where to eat in Limerick, be it breakfast, lunch or dinner, afternoon tea or maybe even a cocktail. Dermot Kelly from Kelly's Oysters will be on the phone to talk about the shellfish that you either love or hate. I personally am a huge fan for the record. I'll be asking Laura Kelly how it feels to be carrying the flag for the fifth generation at the infamous Kelly's Hotel in Rosslare. And fellow Northern Irelander Paula McIntyre will be introducing us to her new book which is called Down to Earth. And I have a feeling that the title has as much to do with Paula's easygoing personality as much as the book's content. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie, or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So without further delay, let's invite resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley into the studio to talk about Limerick. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, how are you this evening? I'm good, good. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks for having me here. It's hard to believe we're in December. I know, and Christmas is around the corner. And tonight we're not going to review one specific place. We're going to talk about Limerick City. And because it is December, people might be exploring their Christmas shopping opportunities and options so they could do worse than come to Limerick City. Absolutely and it's looking fabulous with all the lights strung and across the across the river as well you'll have you can see the lights as you cross the bridge so it's looking fabulous it'd definitely be worthwhile stopping in for a bit of shopping. Absolutely and you have all the the need to know information about where they should eat starting first thing in the morning right up until last thing at night. Yes, well, obviously you have to start in a full tummy, otherwise you're not going to get very far at all. So uh, breakfast is first on the schedule, I think. And where do you recommend for breakfast in Limerick? Um, the, the two places that I would tend to go to mostly would be Canteen, which is, uh, would you believe, a pop-up store, a pop-up restaurant that has popped up now for some three years, I think. So that'll give you an idea of how well it's been received and, and how much Limerick people love it. Uh, they do great coffee there. They do Badger and Dodo coffee. Uh, I think it is brewed in Cork or comes packaged in Cork I think uh, and fabulous I have friends who come down from Dublin and bypass my house and go straight to Canteen for that coffee um, they also do quite a few healthy options they have sort of like breakfast pots and granola pots and things like that uh, and of course the full Irish and when they do the full Irish they're very particular about the provenance of the, the rashers and the sausages and whatnot. absolutely yeah Crow's Farm I believe is where they source most of their meat uh, and again you can taste the difference it's fabulous okay so that's Candine but maybe if you're staying in a hotel or you fancy a hotel hotel breakfast you would recommend the Savoy I would and especially if you're going to sort of take a little bit of leisurely time over it uh, because the thing about the Savoy breakfast it's obviously it's renowned people people always go there for uh, breakfast lunches as well as their Sunday uh, breakfast sorry should I say Sunday breakfasts as well as business breakfasts um, so it, it's a really good place to be able to sit down in a relaxing environment uh, comfy chairs watch kind of all the activity downstairs uh, on the street below and enjoy a huge amount of variety of, of breakfast dishes yeah, they've Fabulous big glass windows there, don't they? Yes, yeah, you yeah, can look great. down and people watch for a while. It's a lovely mm-hmm. setting. And if you are looking to stop for lunch then... And there are a lot of lunch options in Limerick City at the moment, but two of the big favourites, I suppose, uh, currently would be Sage Cafe and uh, also Hook and Ladder, which only opened, I think, about a year and a half ago. And Hook and Ladder then, you could probably be picking up a few bits in there for Christmas presents as well. You could indeed. It kind of doubles as um, as, a rest, as a furniture shop, uh, bizarrely enough, but it does work. They have li- different kinds of knickknacks and pieces of furniture and uh, dotted all around the restaurant. So it makes for interesting viewing while you're having your, your lunch. Now, it's in Bedford Row, isn't it? It is indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah. So kind of uh, right beside the Mughal Emperor. So that's just around the corner from the Savoy and we probably should say the canteen is on Mallow Street so it's a bit further up from O'Connell Street and off a, O'Connell Street. A little Street. bit, yeah, yeah, up one of um, Ireland's old or Limerick's old Georgian Street so okay. it's, it's worth even just having a, a stroll up there just to see the buildings. Now one place that I would often frequent for lunch whenever I'm in, in Limerick would be Sage Cafe on Catherine Street. I'd be very fond of it. Yes, I think you and half of Limerick, it's always packed in the mornings. Uh, a lot of people would go there before they even start their, their jobs at nine o'clock just to kind of pop in, grab their coffee and, um, and their, their Irish fry actually is what Anthony normally has there. 
Yeah, they do lovely salads as well at lunchtime and nice hot food as well. It's a long time since I've been in the city at lunchtime, but it is somewhere whenever I was in there regularly that I, I would like to to frequent. Yeah, it's got a nice atmosphere as well. I think it's mm. one of those places where you can sit down and relax over your lunch and take your time and mm. nobody hurries you and the people are, are, are glad to see you, which is always nice. Yeah. So that's breakfast and lunch taken care of. So afternoon tea then? Afternoon tea, yeah, it's great actually. Limerick has quite a few options for that. If you fancy, um, you know, going to something a little bit refined and elegant during your Christmas shopping, you can obviously have the normal afternoon tea with your, your tea and your sandwiches or you can always spruce it up and have a glass of champagne or Prosecco along with it. Uh, there's a couple of different hotels that offer it. Uh, one of the busiest ones at the moment would be One Perry Square, uh, which is based in a very beautiful old Georgian building, or indeed two Georgian buildings together. Um, and that is in Perry Square, just off O'Connell Avenue. And they do uh, afternoon tea there for 19 euro. And then you can add, uh, I think it's two or three hours access to the thermal suite, which is in the basement there for 49 euro. So it's quite good value, if you, okay, if for, nice. especially for vouchers and things like that for people. Well, just when you mention vouchers, I'm just thinking about the likes of Hook and Ladder mm. and... Um, you're saying there about afternoon tea like they're both great places to get vouchers especially hook and ladder there's so many different things in there that people could exchange them for and they have the cookery school as well I was going to say that absolutely anybody who's interested in cooking uh, I believe they run cookery schools and wine evenings and things like that so no doubt if you buy a voucher you can use it against lunch or in furniture or um, one of the classes so there's a wide variety for, for the person you have in mind and Hook and Ladder have recently had a cookbook club where the people talk about different cookbooks and then they cook something from one wow. of the cookbooks. Yeah, I didn't know that. That yeah. sounds really interesting. Mm, yeah. I could make use out of my enormous collection of cookbooks yeah, that gathers dust on my yeah. So you should check out their website for that. <laughs> Definitely. So afternoon tea in Perry Square or back to the Savoy? The Savoy also uh, has a very popular afternoon tea. And again, it, because the Savoy is quite central, people tend to like it. They can just kind of bustle in with all their bags, sit down for an hour or two before they kind of build up the energy to go back out. They do afternoon tea for €21 Euro, and I think with the champagne, it's 28 Okay, lovely, mm-hmm. which is quite reasonable. Yeah, exactly. And then dinner time when you've gone back home or back to your hotel and relaxed for a bit. Yes. Got yourself spruced up, got a bit of energy. Maybe a cocktail first. Let's have cocktails first. That is a really good idea, given the, <laughs> given the time of the year, I think. Um, we're big fans of cocktails, myself and my friends. We uh, only pretty much go to two, one of two places when we're going out uh, on the Saturday evenings. One is the Savoy again, uh, just because they never let us down for cocktails. They always have great service, great ingredients and a uh, comfortable environment again where you're happy to sit down. And we get lazy now with our high heels. We don't want to have to traipse across town. So we we tend to sit put and the only other place we would go to which also does excellent cocktails would be the corn store um, they do a great range of cocktails and a lot of um, nice gins as well I see lately on their menu uh, they've kind of ventured out a little bit past the, the normal ones and you get the, your Tanqueray and Bombay Sapphire and things like that there So, and the corn store have a great range of virgin cocktails so they're non-alcoholic cocktails absolutely yes and again not just sort of um, what do they call it the, the Shirley Temple you, they actually have quite a few different uh, ingredients and quite a few mixes Mm. so uh, you definitely won't be bored if you're not drinking I love a mojito that's my I have a real weakness for mojitos whenever there's cocktails on the menu and the corn store do a virgin one so when I was pregnant there was a a friend of mine was having a hen party and of course I had absolutely zero interest (laughs) in going to a hen party whenever I was pregnant until I heard it was in the private dining room in the corn store so I said yep that's great I will be there drinking my virgin mojitos all night that sounds absolutely like my kind of hen party without a doubt and actually I think if you're going to drink a virgin cocktail the mojito is definitely the closest thing because it still has that lovely fresh mm. flavour and that lovely sort of uh, lovely mint tones as well yeah. too. it's fabulous I had a virgin one in the Red Hen in Limerick as well which is excellent what's your favourite cocktail I go straight for the margarita I'm a savoury really? girl yeah every single time the margarita the problem is that they go down too easy see <laughs> I need a longer one if I have a short one then like a cosmopolitan forget it I drink it as quickly as I do one that has more substance to it so I need to, to drink the ones that I can make last that's a, a good idea yeah, maybe I should yeah. take that up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's we've had our cocktails, and now it's time to to go somewhere nice for dinner. 
Yes, uh, maybe go on and, and line the tummy after those cocktails. Uh, there's a couple of different options. You know, Limerick is quite well known for its range of restaurants. So you can go sort of the higher end. Um, you can go for a steakhouse like Freddy's Bistro, which is in business some 20 years and is incredibly popular uh, pretty much every year, and especially Christmas time. Um, I think I've personally bought a, about 10 vouchers from them for various different people. Uh, and also the French table, which is really, really nice, especially this time of year. They do some beautiful French dishes like Buff Bourguignon, Lamb Shank and things like that. Um, so that can be a good option, but that's slightly further out of the city, but on the waterfront. So mm-hmm. it can be quite beautiful to nice sit down there. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then in the, if you want to sort of, sort of something a little, little bit more casual, uh, the, the relatively new restaurant, Arroy, I think it's been open about a year and a half now, mm. two years. It is super popular. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and incredible value as well. 10 euro for pretty much all the courses there. Um, I always go for the catch of the day, which is just spectacular yeah no it, it's a great place to go to or you could just stay in the corn store I do think the corn store is very good for you, dinner as well you could definitely do that I tend to sit there with a cocktail and wings uh, that's about as classy sometimes as the nights get but <laughs> they, they do the trick and it's fabulous food there well hopefully now we've given the listeners that might be thinking about coming to Limerick uh, to do some Christmas shopping that we've inspired them in terms of where to eat and drink whenever they're here and they might come along and pay us a visit they definitely should absolutely Thank you again for coming in and for your contributions over the past year. It's been very much appreciated. Have a lovely Christmas and we'll talk to you in the new year. Not at all. And indeed to you. Thanks very much, Sharon. Happy Christmas. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Thanks again to Rachel. And if you have a restaurant that you think Rachel should hot foot it to in 2016, please drop me an email with all the details, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll pass the information on to Rachel. So still to come tonight, I'll be asking Laura Kelly how it feels to be carrying the flag for the fifth generation at the infamous Kelly's Hotel in Rosslare. And fellow Northern Irelander Paula McIntyre will be introducing us to her new book, which is called Down to Earth. Next, though, I'm delighted to put a call in to Galway Bay to talk to Dermot Kelly from Kelly's Oysters. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Dermot, thanks so much for taking the call this evening. That's no problem, Sharon, at all. Kelly's oysters have been going a long time, 60 years you've been in business selling oysters. So I want to start by asking you about the different types of oysters that are there. I've read about, is it native rock oysters versus Pacific oysters? Yes, uh, Sharon, we we have um, both oysters here in the bay. We have the native uh, flat wild oysters and we have the farmed... uh, Pacific oysters. They're called Pacific oysters um, because their ancestors came from uh, Japan. But uh, the oysters here now they're they um, they're reproduced in the hatcheries here and they're grown in the in the waters in the bay. So does that mean you do something out of the bay and then you kind of plant them in the bay? Uh, that's it. Yeah. So the the um, Pacific oyster are. We, we prefer to call them the rock oyster or the Irish rock oyster. They're, uh, the water doesn't get warm enough here for them to reproduce naturally. So they're reproduced in, the, in a hatchery environment and uh, they're planted as seed then as four millimeter or six millimeter seed um, into bags and they're left on trestles on the side shore. Is there something called spat in there? Uh, that'd be like the spat. Traditionally, your spat would have been um, the wild, the wild spat. They refer to that as spat. That's like seed, is it? That's it. The seed from from which they grow. That's it. That's that's your seed. Um, so the two, the native oyster, uh, the wild oyster reproduces naturally in the bay, and that's where the uh, wording, uh, the month with the R. So you don't eat the native oyster uh, with the month. Um, unless it's a, a month that has the R in it, so oh, okay. September to April. But you can eat the other ones, the Pacific That's ones, correct. any time of the, the year. The rock oysters, you eat them all year round. Okay. And the reason you can do that is because they don't get uh, they don't get milky or creamy. They, they don't reproduce at all here uh, naturally themselves. You're farming oysters there in the bay, and obviously, if you were a farmer with dairy cattle or pigs, you own the land. How, how does ownership work of land that's, well, it's not in, it, it's, it's get, in the sea? Uh, you get permission from the, from the state, so you get a, an aquaculture licence to, um, to farm the uh, side shore or the, the piece of the sea that you're using. 
So you have your oysters out there, they're on the trestles and they're reproducing and growing and it, it, is it difficult to protect them? Like, would you have oyster pirates, for example, in the area? <laughs> well, you'd have to keep an eye out, but uh, there's a lot of honesty around the place. So, Look, if people came and took a few oysters, you're not going to take any notice. But if they keep coming and keep taking, you will notice. And um, we have people on the lookout. Um, you can only get them when the water is, is down at low water. So there's a limited amount of time where you can where you can access Because, of course, that's another element of it that the tide will affect when you can actually... That's it. So the, your, our day revolves around when the tide is out. Yeah. So, as I said, tide and our time will wait for no one. So you have to go out when the tide is out. And then when you get particularly rough weather or bad weather, it, it affects the amount of time you can spend on there. And can the weather then actually affect your crop in an adverse way? Like, could you lose some of your crop of oysters to that? You could. Uh, things like too much, um, too much fresh water would um, would fill them up too much, and the, and they're not able for it. Um, too much uh, storm is not too bad, but um, if if it was too rough, it would damage them, and and you could have losses because of that as well. How long does it take for an oyster to go from being spat to being on somebody's plate? Um, the two oysters, so the native, the native wild oyster can take five to six years. To really, as long as that? Like that is a long time, isn't for it? The wild native oyster, it is. Yeah. For the for the rock oyster, you're looking at two and a half to three years, and that's why the rock oyster is more commercial and it's it's the most common oyster you'd see around the place now. The rock oyster. And it would be more expensive. Uh, the rock oyster is, is cheaper. The native oyster is more expensive. Okay. The wild, uh, the wild native oyster is more expen- expensive because they're they're relatively scarce. Um, if there's three or four hundred tons of wild native oysters produced in Ireland every year, compared to eight to nine thousand tons of the the farmed uh, rock oyster, big difference. Yeah, I'm amazed how long it actually takes because obviously that's a huge investment on your part that, you know, when you start it, you had to wait five years for for the first batch to be ready and you must have certain areas set up then for, for different years. Um, well, it is. With the with the native oyster, you're depending... There's a wild fishery, so there's, there's um, 17 boats, licensed boats that go out and fish on the wild fishery here in, in Galway Bay. Um, so we take in the crop from there and it's it's nearly fully grown. We hold it on our own holding area then and we finish them off where they develop the flavour and the taste. With the with the farm rock oyster then you're looking at a three year three to four year turnaround from uh, to get everything out. So yeah it, take, it takes time. It takes time and patience. And when you harvest them and bring them in, what do you do to prepare them to go into restaurants or to market uh, to your buyers? We, we grade them first and they're, they're put back on the bed then in different categories. So you have uh, number ones, number twos, number threes, uh, the largest being the number ones. And um, when the orders come in, then we, we go to see and we harvest whatever we require for that day. They come back here, then they go through a, a purification system, which which cleans them and it, it guarantees the quality and the standard of them and then they're packed in uh, baskets with a deep shell down to hold the juices in and they're shipped then to the customer for next day delivery. And whenever the customer gets them then, what do they have to do to them to in order to, to serve them to a diner? Uh, they store them in the baskets and then uh, as they're ordered, they're opened open freshly to order usually. So they, they have to... Um, prize the shells apart, which can be difficult if people are not used to it, but uh, usually in the restaurant they're, they're well used to it and they, they present the oyster on the, on the deep shell. Is that called shucking? Shucking, yes. That's an American term. It has, it has uh, taken some traction here in Ireland now, so it's shucking, yes. And there's a special knife that they use, I believe, to do that. Everybody has their own, uh, their own knife, depending on the method that they use, but um, it's usually a short... Um, strong sharp knife so you have to to open the oyster you have to um, you have to crack the hinge first as in you you break the hinge with the knife first and then you slide the knife across the top of the oyster to cut the muscle and then you when the top shell comes off you uh, sever the muscle 
on the bottom shell and that releases the, the oyster itself. And it's very important to do that correctly because it can affect the taste of it. It is, and, and the presentation of it as well. So if something doesn't look nice, it'll put, put the customer off. So it's very important to open them uh, correctly. I'm a huge fan then of just eat, eating them au naturel, as they very say, good. just maybe with a bit of lemon or a bit of Tabasco now and again. But there are lots of different ways that they can be served. Uh, there is, there is. I suppose the most common one would be with a, a vinaigrette, uh, uh, red wine vinaigrette with uh, shallots. And also, um, there's a lot of sauces now and everything, and there's a lot, um, some people actually um, uh, bake them in the oven, which which they're very good as well, with uh, uh, breadcrumbs, uh, lemon rind, a bit of garlic, herb butter, and put it in the oven for eight to ten minutes, and uh, it really enhances the flavour as well. They're, they're a fairly nutritious food. Uh, they are. They're full of uh, vitamins, minerals and iron. And uh, they're full of zinc as well, which is very good for you. And is that where the aphrodisiac <laughs> rumour comes into play because of the zinc in them? That's it. It helps as well. <laughs> now, you do lots of other products um, in addition to the oysters. Tell us about what else you have in your portfolio. We do. We do. Uh, we do mussels. We have uh, wild uh, mussels. They're handpicked off the shore. And we have uh, rope mussels grown on, uh, on rafts. We also have... Uh, surf clams um, they're wild surf clams they're taken from the sand out here by Island Eddy and uh, they're very nice in pastas or things like that and uh, we have uh, periwinkles as well periwinkles Are you supplying everybody locally or do you do some exporting as well? Uh, about half and half half our business is local um, up along the wild Atlantic way and across Dublin and down the southeast and then we the other half is export so we export um, last year to 15 different countries in total from from uh, Toronto in the west across to um, across to Singapore Malaysia in the east wow that's incredible that they're so popular outside of Ireland are they not available in those other countries no they are available but uh, it's the quality and and the flavor and the taste that we we have here um, that they're they're sought after out there they'd, they'd be on the menus with maybe oysters from five or six different countries across different continents on the same menus so they're competing well and they're on the top of the menus there that would be um, they'd be sought after there and what is their their uniqueness attributed to why why do they have a better flavor than say uh, an oyster that you could get in canada that's well, grown in canada it's like every every oyster producer has the best oysters in the world but really when you come here and and you get the oysters from galway you have um, it's what we call i'm sure you're familiar with the with the term uh, terroir so what we call it here is the the merwar so the elements within that in in Galway Bay, we have the Burren to the south, we have Connemara to the north, we have the fields of Athenry, and we have the Atlantic mixing in. The oysters themselves, then, they can filter up to 11 litres an hour of, of water, so they're taking the goodness, the essence um, of the ocean, and they're feeding. So you're looking at three to four years feeding uh, like that. They really have, you really have the essence of the ocean when you, when you eat that oyster. I, I think I told you whenever I met you at Food on the Edge that yes. I had just finished reading a chick lit book. It was called The Oyster Catcher by Joe Thomas and the the protagonist in it, for want of a better word, had ran away from England and she'd ended up working in this oyster farm in Galway Bay and I just find it very interesting. So that's where the spat and oyster pirates and everything came <laughs> from. <laughs> So it was very opportune that I came across you then in Galway and had the luck to, to try one of your mussels and they were absolutely delicious. So very good. You enjoyed them. I did, yeah. Thanks so much for talking to me tonight about it. If people want to find out more, they can go to your website. Yes, uh, kellyoysters.com. Fantastic. And we're on uh, Facebook and Twitter as well if they're into that social media. Well, continued success into the future, Dermot. I'll be keeping an eye out for them on the menus of the restaurants that I'm in over the coming months. That's great, Sharon. Thank you very much.
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and if you've just joined us, we heard earlier from resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley, who had lots of suggestions about where to eat, drink and get merry in Limerick. And just before the break, I was on the phone to Dermot Kelly from Kelly's Oysters in Galway Bay. And never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or pop onto iTunes or the podcast app and you can subscribe to the show free of charge and download everything. And still to come tonight, fellow Northern Irelander Paula McIntyre will be introducing us to her new book which is called Down to Earth. But next, we're going to talk to another Kelly. I don't think there's any connection with Kelly's Oysters, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm sure many of you have heard of Kelly's Hotel in Ross Lair, County Wexford. It has been described as the jewel in Irish tourism and has been a family-run resort for five generations. Let's chat to Laura Kelly to find out a bit more. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Laura, welcome to the programme this evening. Another Kelly, I was talking to Dermot Kelly from Kelly's Oysters. Any relation there? Uh, Not that I know of, anyway. You are one of the Kellys from Kelly's Resort in Ross Lair, which is an extremely well-known resort, and you're the fifth generation. How does it feel to be flying the flag? My goodness, well, I'm extremely proud to be flying the flag for the the fifth generation in Kelly's, um, the hotel scene successful for what over 100 we've actually celebrated 120 years this year so it seems to have been a success for 120 years you could probably say that the pressure is on now anyway (laughs) well what i always find whenever you see a new generation coming into a business they want to put their own stamp on it they bring their own energy and their own own ideas to it you have certainly done that from what i've read I suppose I have brought a certain energy to the business because it's what I love and it's what I grew up. But also I think what's important with Kelly's is that there is the tradition there and I think you can't come in and just change it all of a sudden either. We have very many loyal customers who are there many years. So I think it's very much right now at the moment focusing more on on what our customers want and where we can bring that in the future rather than coming in and making some drastic changes initially if if you understand you're very good at marketing the hotel and a number of years ago there was the book of kelly's which i thought was a fantastic idea tell us a bit about that that was done for the centenary year actually so it was 100 years and they put together a little bit on the history of the hotel really and how it started but at this rate we could probably add a new chapter to it now that there's a new generation to come along still a book that people are people are still reading it and reading about kelly's and about the history we actually did a video this year for the 120 years where we tried to tell a little bit of the history of Kelly's and bring in what we had in the book. But we also, it brought it that step forward and brought it into this century and the last 20 years of Kelly's also. Well, do tell us a bit about the history, about how it all started 120 years ago. So 120 years ago, it would have been my great-great-grandfather at the time. Actually, the train had just arrived into Rosslair, and uh, there was an influx of tourists from mainly Dublin that were starting to come down and to come down to the seaside down here, and he really saw a little opportunity. But it started off tiny. I mean, it started off as a little tea room with no bedrooms, and then I don't know how, but it ended up to where we are today, little by little. And you could say every generation added their stamp and added added different facilities and things to the hotel over the years. Some would say that you're following in your father's footsteps in more ways than one because you went to the same college as he went to in Switzerland. Um, my mum and dad actually went to the college in Switzerland and I know that there's some fantastic colleges here in Ireland, but I suppose for me it was just important that I follow the tradition and that's something that I wanted to do as well. But it was it was a fantastic experience and it really opened my eyes to the hotel world and made me realise that it's exactly what I want to do. Your mother and father met there, in fact, is that right? They did, yes. Mum being French from uh, the south of France and... Uh, dad Irish he managed to convince her to come to Ireland and she's never left 
And did she come from a vineyard? She did. She's from Chateauneuf-du-Pape in the south of France. And uh, her family owned the Clodipape over over there. So it's uh, like like ourselves, like the hotel. The Clodipape has also been in the Avril family for many generations. It must be wonderful then to have that wine in the, the hotel to, to talk to customers about the connections that you have with it. It is. Well, we often slag mum and dad. We always tell them it was a good marriage. You know, mum brought the wine and dad brought the hotel, so it was great. (laughs) A very good marriage indeed. A very good marriage. (laughs) Now, I believe you didn't come away with a husband from Switzerland, but you did travel extensively and you've, you've worked in various different places throughout the world. Tell us where you have worked. The college was very much six months in, six months out, and I did work in various places. So I went to London for a little while. I was in New York in Singapore and then when I after graduating I worked with Club Med for a while and I was in Turkey and in Morocco with them so it was definitely a vast different types of hotels cultures and everything so it certainly did open my eyes to to the hotel industry a lot more. Do you think it's important for people to get experience outside of their comfort zone in different countries different establishments? Because everybody's different. For myself, I think that it was very important. I feel like I grew up in Rosslare, the hotel. Kelly's was the only hotel that I knew. So for me, it was very important to to see different hotels and to travel and to experience different cultures and different people. But I don't think that's really stopped right now. I do feel that even now when the hotel closes, both Dad, myself, and my family, we love going away and we love being able to see new hotels and see if there's any new ideas. Or it, I feel that travel is so important and it's so important to go outside of your little bubble. You're closing, in fact, this Sunday, the 6th of December, for the winter break. So will you spend a bit of time travelling around before you open up in February? Well, we close for two months. There is quite a lot of work to be done in the hotel, but it does allow us to take some time off. For us, Christmas has always been a family time because it's when the hotel is closed and when all the family can be together. So usually what we do for Christmas is we go over to France and spend it with my mum's side of the family. So that's lovely. Give us a description of how the day starts and finishes. Well, in France we celebrate Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day. So I suppose that's the number one thing that would be would be different to Ireland. So it might not always be turkey, but uh, but usually we do the turkey or chicken and with the stuffing and things like that. My younger sisters love the stuffing, so you can't you can't go by without that. Whereas then then it's more the excitement of going to bed and Santa Claus the next morning. But on Christmas Day, as such, we wouldn't have we don't have a big meal or anything. But I think that's across France in general. And you drink lots of nice wine, I'd say. We try. <laughs> we certainly try. When you come back in January, you're getting all set for the 2016 season. And I know you've lots of very exciting events coming up next year. We're closing with a very exciting event this week. We have um, cooking demonstrations this week with uh, Catherine Fluvio. Lovely. So um, we're, we're, it's the first time that Catherine will be at Kelly's and we're really looking forward to having her there with us and to seeing her her demonstrations. Catherine's going to be doing two days of cooking demonstrations then our executive chef Eugene Callaghan will be doing a day of uh, demonstrations and also our pastry chef and also our chef who is head of our of Kelly's Cafe in Wexford so his name's Stefan Rushar so he's also going to be doing a day of demonstrations so I think there'll be a, an array of different different skills and ideas that people can take away with them for the four days of demonstrations. And then next year, we do cooking demonstrations twice a year. We do wine demonstrations twice a year. So outside of the summer, in the spring and autumn, we have a spring and autumn activities each week. So for example, um, we also, another popular week is the wine tasting week. Um, only three weeks ago, actually, in the hotel, we had Jean-Claude Ramonet from the famous Ramonet Domain in Chateau-Mohache with us. So we did an incredible tasting with him and we tasted some really top-class white wines, which was 
amazing. But we also have these type of events scheduled for next year. We've got ballroom dancing, we've got gardening, we've got bridge weeks. So it's, it's definitely things to keep to keep our guests busy when they're staying with us. And where can people find out all the details about those events? We'll have everything up online in the hotel. And uh, also if they get some of our, on our brochures also, we'll have all the various activities and midweek activities that we'll be doing throughout next year. I know when the hotel is closed in December, we also have a stand up in Dundrum, if anyone's around, where we do sell vouchers for the Christmas period. And we also give out the brochures where people can see what various activities we'll have going on through the year in Kelly's. So it's www.kellys.ie. Laura, fantastic to talk to you this evening. Have a lovely Christmas and we look forward to talking to you again in the new year about all the events that are coming up. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Laura Kelly who is flying the flag for the fifth generation at the Kelly Hotel Resort in Ross Lair. Earlier in the show, resident restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley had advice about where to eat and drink in Limerick and Dermot Kelly from Kelly's Oysters was extolling the virtues of the wonderful shellfish. You can listen to those interviews again when tonight's show in its entirety goes up on the Best Possible Taste podcast, which is on soundcloud.com, and they'll be posted there later in the week. Or alternatively, subscribe to the show free of charge using iTunes or download the show via the podcast app. Time now to look at a new cookbook on the market. Down to Earth is Paula McIntyre's second cookbook. Paula is no stranger to the world of TV and radio and has appeared on shows such as Ready Steady Cook, RTE's Afternoon Show and she also has a regular slot on BBC Radio Ulster. She's a fellow Northern Irelander, so no surprise that I'm very much looking forward to talking to her now. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Paula, you're very welcome to the show this evening. Thanks so much, Sharon. And you have a fabulous new book out. It's called Down to Earth. Tell us a little bit about it and what we can expect from it. Yeah, it's called Down to Earth. Um, and it's, uh, I called it that for a couple of reasons, Sharon. The first reason was that um, every time I do a demo where people meet me, they always say, oh, you're so down to earth. I don't know what they're expecting. I think they must be expecting some kind of diva. But anyway, uh, they don't get it. So, And then the other reason is the earth bit. Um, I'm quite involved with slow food and um, in, in globally, you know, and so I've just been named director of Slow Food in Northern Ireland. So the, the Earth reference is no like to Terra Madre and to that, and and all the recipes are quite earthy. You know, they're using vegetables that we can easily get here. So there's there's no baby sweet corn or anything like that in the book. It's all leeks, turnips, and the the fruit is. Uh, you know, like gooseberries and 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 everything you you know everything in season as well, which which is particularly uh, I love just to cook in season. I think that's very important at the moment, and certainly become more and more topical. And you mentioned slow food there, and some people might think slow food is about cooking things very gently and for yeah. a long time, <laughs> but that's not actually what the slow food movement is about. No, it's about uh, really. It's just about taking things slowly. You know, growing slowly not using pesticides, um, going organically as, as much as possible. But it's, I think it's, if we, I, it's when I explain it, I would say it's the opposite of fast food. So it's, um, you know, if you were to say, uh, get a, a, sometimes, you know, you get fried chicken and, and it's maybe from hatch to plate is six weeks because of the growth hormones and everything like that. So it's about taking things slowly. I guess the way that our grandparents cooked and, and raised food and, Used all of the animal and uh, and preserved what they didn't weren't using immediately for you know salted pork and and, and going back to that it's all quite trendy now but it, it makes sense too doesn't it absolutely yes and, everything. and Northern Ireland of course is full of award winning great products many of which we've featured here on the show from the Broider Gold Rapeseed Oil to the Barons Court Venison and Glastry Farm Ice Cream that's just a few examples so you're very lucky I'm very lucky we're both very lucky that we're from Northern Ireland I know I know uh, well I think you know, Ireland as a whole but I think 
with the trouble, Sharon, we, we really didn't have, a, there wasn't really a market for, for food, uh, for artisan products in Northern Ireland. Nobody was buying them. We didn't have any visitors to show them off. So I think we're, we're, we're catching up now um, with, with the South, which is great. But uh, look, the, pr- the produce throughout the whole of the island is second to none anyway. And it's just, you know, we're just, we're part of the, of the island of Ireland. So you have the beautiful, you know, the cold tidal waters give us this mag- magnificent seafood. And, and then you have the great lush land that gives us the, the meat, the dairy and, and the beautiful vegetables. So we, it's, it's a win-win situation here, isn't it? Well, your career to date has been very illustrious. Like, you, you didn't go to the catering college in Portrush, did you? You went to the United no. States. Well, I went actually. I went to um, oh, after A levels, um, which I may or may not have flunked deliberately to get to catering college because it wasn't seen as a, a career choice at the school that I went to. I went to the College of Business Studies in Belfast because I always wanted to sort of open a restaurant and I wanted to have a, a, a background, you know, to get some kind of business experience. So I did a course there, which was catering management, and then you did block site and industry, and I did all my industry experience in the Ramore restaurant. Um, I think it was I worked in housekeeping for one day and said that if I had to work in housekeeping for another day, I would leave the whole course. So they made an exception for me and allowed me to do all, all my experience in the kitchen. And uh, that was a good start. And then I got a scholarship to Johnson Wales University in America for three months under the International Fund for Ireland. And then after that, uh, they asked me, they offered me an international scholarship for two years to do the Bachelor of Science in Hotel Management. And then I was a TA, you know, where you work in the college as a teaching assistant and then a fellow and, and work in catering classes. And I absolutely loved it. Learned so much, you know, and uh, it's been great, you know. Do you think as a career these days it has a much better image that, you know, you were talking there about doing your A-levels and certainly whenever I was also at school, there was the catering college in Portrush, but nobody was really encouraged to go there. No, you, and, and you know something, I hate to say it, and I, and I teach in, uh, in a catering college now a day a week, and it's, I think careers teachers are now saying, oh, if, if, you haven't, if you're not doing well at school, you to, have you thought about catering? Now, I actually think you know, that catering should be a first choice because you need to be quite clever to, to be able to juggle work in a kitchen or be a good maitre d'. And I really do think we need, to, we need to sort of focus on that. And, you know, there's a shortage of chefs, for example, in Ireland at the moment that's nearly at crisis level. So I think schools should be encouraging people to go into catering. And, and the catering industry is now responding to the fact that young people don't want to go into it because of the hours, but they're, they're addressing that. So I think, it, you know, it, they, we are trying to make it a, an attractive career. And I think in, in that way, you know, we will be able to hopefully one day that people say, well, look, I'm going to do A-levels and then I'm going to do catering. I mean, I think that's the way it should be. But I think it needs to, it's a vocation. It's like doing medicine or veterinary science uh, or something. It's a vocation. You have to you have to have it in your blood and really want to do it, but have the encouragement there from the right people to send you in the right direction to achieve it. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And it is a vocation. And, and I mean, look, I've, I, I worked in kitchens up until probably about 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, it's not an easy job. And you're working anti-social hours and you're just associating with other chefs, which, you know, probably isn't probably one of the most healthy things to do in the world. But anyway, um, but I, uh, you know, I loved my time working in kitchens and the adrenaline and everything like that. But I think there needs to be some kind of address to get younger people involved in it. You had your own restaurant over in Manchester. I did. I had that for five years, actually. Were you a Gordon Ramsay or a Nevin Maguire in the kitchen? I was in the kitchen, really, on my own. Okay. I'm sorry, to be honest. So <laughs> I did most of the cooking, the prepping and cooking myself, and I had help at the weekend. And uh, so there was no point in shouting at myself. Um, so, oh, there's uh, plenty of us do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 16-year-old dishwasher, you know. So, no, um, I think you get... You, I, I have had my... Look, so, look, I've had my moments in kitchens, you know, where I've lost a head. But it doesn't get you anywhere. No, you know, You're not going to encourage yeah. people, especially young people, you know. I, I, I teach in a college, and yeah, I let rip sometimes, but you know, when they're being silly. But, you know, when somebody's trying, there's no point in, you know, there's no point in, in shouting at them because, you know, they're there to learn. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you've had some serious career highlights. You've cooked in some very prestigious places and for illustrious people. Tell us a bit about that. 
Well, I suppose uh, I've just been lucky over the years. You know, that, um, I, I, w- I would be quite involved with Food NI. So even this past year, I've cooked in the House of Commons and I also cooked at the in Brussels, you know, at the European Parliament, which was, um, that was great because that was uh, a demo that I do that involves um, food, uh, sort of interpretation of, of from Seamus Heaney's poetry. So it's, you know, it's references, you know, to perch and to eels and to elderberries and um, churning buttermilk and things like that. And just, so there's a wee bit of the poetry and then there's a bit of cooking with it as well, you know, and, you know, he writes in sunlight about the, in his poem Sunlight, you know, about the griddle and it's just, and it's just nice to have a wee bit of poetry and then all those smells that you associate with making griddle bread, you know, like the scorched flour and, you know, the um, flour in an apron and things like that. So that's been great this year. And then, um, um, and I've, I've been over in Kansas and, uh, you know, cooking at university there. So it's been a, it's been a really good year, actually. <laughs> And what about the pantomime, Paula? Are you doing pantomime this year? Because did I read somewhere you've been in the pantomime? I I was in William Caulfield's panto. Funny, I saw him this morning in Belfast. He came up and rugby tackled me in the the reception of the Europa Hotel. So uh, he's he's not doing as as Radio Ulster pantomime this year, which I'm really sorry about. But I love that. I'm an old show-off, Sharon, so I thought it was great, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Who else could say? And I think that's a good thing, too, you know, about, about my own career is that because of work in radio and, and people think you're, you know, a wee bit of a show-off, uh, you know, it's, it, it does open up um, doors for you and, and, you know, they do things like that and, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, which I think is very important for everybody, isn't it? Absolutely. You challenge yeah. yourself and do things like that. So, yeah, I can tick that off the bucket list. I've been in a pantomime, you know, playing <laughs> myself right enough, but uh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, it's a nice one to be able to tick off, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the Europa there, and it's one of the Hastings hotels, and you're, yeah. an, you're an ambassador for Hastings Hotel. Yeah, well, um, they, they've actually, they um, have bought, bought a, they published, or they have their own special copy of uh of Down to Earth Cookbook with their logo on the front and, and some of their stuff on the back so that they're going to sell and shop in their gift shops and they're also using for um, corporate gifts as well at Christmas but they've been very supportive and their the provenance, food provenance is very important to the Hastings group so they really care where the food's from they, they're very encouraging of young up and coming you know artisans which I think is very important when you have a big hotel group and you don't forget about you know that maybe profit isn't always the most important thing you know we talked about boy or gold there they have that on all their tables now they've burned balsamics you know they have the glassy farm ice cream on their menus they they have the barns court estate venison they have peter hannan's meats um carnbrook meats you know you name it it's there apple juice ciders they have a specially crafted beer for themselves that so you know, and I think that I think when a when a big hotel group's doing that, I think that's sending out a brilliant message. And they make a big deal about their breakfast, about the Ulster Fry, and that's where right. all the ingredients for it come from. I know they do, and and you know the thing about it is like that. I mean, an Ulster Fry is unique because of the sort of farl and the potato bread, because you won't get that anywhere else in the world. And I think that it's really important to do that. You know, I think in Ireland as a whole, we do breakfast so fantastically well. You know, because we've got the beautiful bacon and the eggs and, you know, uh, you have this soda bread and, you know, uh, great sausages, fantastic sausages and pudding, you know. And, you know, not a baked bean in sight, Sharon. I just love it. just oh love a God. good breakfast. Can't be doing with the baked so beans. Well. Hate the no, baked no. beans on it. <laughs> no, definitely not. We, we were at a wedding recently in, um, in England, a relative's wedding. So we were all down for breakfast at different tables and we sat down and they were taking, they'd taken a few orders and they took mine and I said, uh, yeah, the full breakfast, no beans. And the next thing everybody said, oh, I don't want beans either. I don't want beans. <laughs> all these orders that had already gone oh, into the kitchen. Oh, no, no <laughs> beans for the Irish, please. No, we don't do beans with our breakfast. No, taste. <laughs> You know, worse than the beans is when they put the warmed up tinned tomatoes. Oh no, I've never had that. Oh no, that's a real. That's I remember that when I lived in Manchester. I thought that was one of the most horrible 
revolting things oh, ever no. in a plate. Oh, no. Imagine a hot tin plum snap. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. I couldn't be doing with that now at all. No, definitely not. <laughs> now, 2016 is officially the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink, and they have themes for each month, which I think is an ingenious idea. And I think breakfast is the first theme for January. Uh, breakfast is January, yeah, which is great. You must have lots of plans for 2016. Well, hopefully uh, I'd be involved quite a lot. I hope, um, uh, I think there's the Food NI and the Tourist Board have massive plans. So that's actually still been finalised. But I think, you know, there's going to be, personally, um, with the slow food thing, I want to bring that out, you know, to the to the fore and, and work with the Tourist Board and with uh, Food NI to just to highlight that. Um, I've been really lucky to meet a few people um, on my travels with the, you know, with the Food and Farming Awards and Radio 4 that I would love to bring over to Northern Ireland and we're making plans for that. You know, people originally from... I think the great thing is, too, that a lot of people that have that have left, you know, are very keen to come back and be involved in it. You know, people like Claire Smith and um, there's a great chef from Rules called David Stafford and it'd be great to see him coming over and I think he's very keen. So, you know, anything that can, you know, to bring people together is, is always good. Well, listen, it's been fantastic to talk to you tonight. We were talking about your book to start off with, Down oh, to Earth right. Cookbook, <laughs> Paul and McIntyre's Down to Earth Cookbook. Uh, you can get it online um, from Ethan's, um, and, or you can, hopefully it'll be in Ethan's shops and, um, soon. I know they're in, in the shops in the north. We can go direct to the, uh, the publisher, Colourpoint, but it's, uh, I, I'm really happy with the book, Sharon, because it's, you know, it's like a, you know, it's divided into seven chapters and it's all pretty, as I said, down to earth, but there's recipes in it from anything as diverse as Rocky Road and there's uh, soda fars, there's a walnuts and salted grape bread, there's carrot wine, there's, you know, gooseberry shortcake and, and I think it's a good book, you know, as well, just if you're, if, you know, for somebody who's starting off cooking, because there's good recipes for soups and stews in it as well. Did you say carrot wine? Carrot wine, yeah. What's that? Well, it's wine made from carrots. No so way. You ferment it, you ferment it, and it takes six months. But, you know, the, have you ever made your own wine? No. Well, you <laughs> see the pleasure that you get from taking something that you've picked, chopping it up, putting it with sugar and a bit of yeast in a bucket, and decanting it and watching that process. And you'll get a flavour that you'll never get, that, that you'll be able to buy in a supermarket. So... You know, carrot wine, I, I, I make it, um, make uh, parsley, sherry, things like that to use in cooking. And, and you're sort of trapped on the essence of the, of the, of the, the produce as well in a, in a unique way. God, it sounds so, fantastic. I must look that one great. up in it. It's really good, actually. You know, it, it tastes like a nice dry white wine, but it costs a fraction of the price. And, and you wouldn't have the fun making it. Oh. You, you know, go, just go down and buy it off and off. Absolutely. Like, no crack there, is there? <laughs> Paula, best of luck with it, as I say. Thanks um, a million, Sharon. And thanks, thanks so much for your time tonight. We'll definitely keep in touch and um, yeah. I look forward to all the plans for 2016. Well, we'll keep you informed, definitely. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Always lovely to talk to a fellow Northern Irelander and best of luck to Paula with her fantastic new book. And you heard Paula mention Chef Claire Smith. And you might remember that Claire is the chef patron of restaurant Gordon Ramsay in London, which is three stars. And she was the judge at the Eurotalk Young Chef Awards at the weekend. And next week, I'm going to be talking to chef owner of 1826 Adair, Wade Murphy. Wade is the Commissioner General of Eurotalk and he's going to be here to tell us a bit about the Young Chef of the Year competition. So we'll have all the news about this year's finalists and the winner. And that sadly brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for joining me and thanks to all of tonight's guests, Rachel Keeley, Dermot Kelly, Laura Kelly and Paula McIntyre. A final reminder that the best possible taste podcast is online at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Until next week, thanks again so much for your company and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.